the point after presented by Parks Casino. Is today your lucky day? Bet Parks. By Brian Patton and Associates, it's all about the benefits. And by the Steelers Pro Shop. Get it direct from the team at shop.steelers.com. Alongside Craig Wolfley and Matt Williamson, I'm Rob King. Thanks for being with us. It is time for our Taking a Look Back segment. This Look Back segment is brought to you by Brian and Patton and Associates. It's all about the benefits. We're looking back to the Steelers' 30-23 to victory over Seattle and we're going to look back even further to begin this show to 1989. <laughs> oh, there we go. Come on, bring it on. Yeah, on we go. I'm getting that 89 feeling, buddy. <laughs> Just saying, you know, so after a rocky start okay. and very, very poor performances up and down the board, you know, the, the season comes down to week number 13. We're sitting there at uh, six and seven. And uh, I'm sitting there thinking, because remember back then it was a six, only 16, not 17 games. Right. Sure, sure. Never thought I'd have to say that. But anyhow, <laughs> you know, we reeled off three straight wins. One, two, three. And all of a sudden we find ourselves able to go into the wild card weekend against Houston, who beat us twice during the regular season. And we beat them in overtime in Houston, then went to Denver and came within – one point of beating the Broncos, and they scored to, uh, to take the lead with 222 left in the game, and that game would have put us into the AFC Championship game. We had a, on the last drive, we had a drop pass that would have put us in field goal range for Gary Anderson to boot the winner, and it didn't come to fruition. But you know what? You start to feel you never know how things take off, and it took off in the form of a guy named Merrill Hodge who rushed, didn't have one 100-yard game during the entire season, but in week in the fourteenth week, he rushed for forty three yards, sixty three yards, and then ninety yards in the season finale. And then in in Houston, he went for a hundred yards and one hundred and twenty in Denver. And we're just gaining momentum. And you just never know, baby. <laughs> so that's that's uh, that. Merrill Hodge was the guy. I think everybody in Steelers Nation, Matt is pointing to Mason Rudolph as yeah. the guy. I mean, he comes in. And you get 397 yards of total offense against the Bengals. We know how hard 400 yards has been to come by, uh, been to uh, been hard to come by for the Steelers. I think I got that right that yeah, time. Yeah, you nailed it. 468 yards this past week. 468 yards of offense yeah. under Mason Rudolph. So, not to burst any bubbles, but I'm not super impressed with the Bengals and Seahawks defenses. I don't think that's the 85 Bears. That doesn't matter. I mean, this guy has come in and played lights out. He's running the plays like you're supposed to. He's doing his job, you know, to kind of quote Belichick. I mean, he's dirting the ball when it's not there. He's living to fight another day. He looks like a professional quarterback that understands, you know, how to win in this league. And he's playing very, very well. And they're running the football, Wolf. You know, I mean, that, exactly. that's the beauty of it. I mean, everything this whole season has started or ended with their ability to run the football. And they're running the ball well. Matt, I got to tell you something. You tell, you dial up that very first play. You got a double team with Isaac Suomalo and you got Danny Moore together. They double team Leonard Williams. And they rolled him out like an iron board on his back. I mean, just double team the daylights out of him. Najee got plus four or five, something like that. But it set a tone. And that tone was great. Okay, and I want to talk about the offensive line, but let's continue to talk about the running backs. I was watching Good Morning Football this morning. Oh, and who they, wants to talk the, running back? <laughs> you know, the angry run of the week, which I think Najee's won like five times oh, I bet. this He's year. Running and so they were going back and forth, so they had a fifth-place person. Then the fourth-best run, they had Jalen Warren. Third-best run, Najee Harris. Second-best run, Jalen Warren. Best run, <laughs> run. Najee Harris. Because they were just laying guys out with yeah. stiff arms. And, you know, Jalen Warren had that, that one run towards the middle of the field. We started left, cut back right, broke six tackles. Um, I mean, these guys, uh, they do. They run angry. They really do. And 
with all respect to the blocking, which was very good, and that includes Allen Robinson and Muth and Washington and all those peripheral guys, I thought this one was more about the backs, and especially Najee. I mean, Najee has really made it personal, it looks like. You know, I mean, he just refuses to go down, dragging dudes, fighting them with his upper body, you know, not wearing down at all, and not taking anything away from Warren. He was tremendous, too. I thought it was the Najee show in this one. I just thought he was the best player out there. And both guys go over 1,000 yards from scrimmage, um, something that's rare when you mm -hmm. see two backfield mates be able to do that, Wolf. There's no question. I mean, both these gentlemen have – gentlemen, I like to use that term. Just <laughs> throw it out there. There's nothing because, gentle about yeah, those there's men. There's nothing no, gentle right. about yeah. either one of these dudes. I mean, you talk about the stiff arms. What, didn't Jalen have the 14-yard stiff arm? He had somebody locked out, and <laughs> yeah, they're running yeah. to 14 yards. He's locked out on the dude. And then, I mean – Najee is like a one-man urban assault vehicle. You know what I mean? You give <laughs> right. him the ball, kapow! He's just <laughs> blasting away. I love to watch that sort of, uh, you know, ballistic action on the inside because it just sets a tone for so many things that you can do. When you start to physically dominate in between the trenches, it's the most fun you can have as a, as a player. You know, I don't care about receivers scoring touchdowns and that. When you're in there slugging it out and you're winning, <laughs> there's nothing like it. Oh, and it's fun to watch, too, and – in both the running game and the passing game, I, I'll have to go back and look again at Broderick Jones. But I thought in this game, and you know, Mike Tomlin talked about the importance of running the ball, keeping the crowd out of it mm -hmm. because it's a loud crowd. Yeah, um, it's a difficult place when it's third and nine, third and ten. You lose the advantage of the snap count because the lineman's got to look in and see when the ball is being snapped, just the same way as the defensive lineman does um, that he's across from. Uh, so that was all good, and they did do that, and they didn't get themselves into a lot of bad third-down situations. But I thought Broderick Jones, Boye Mafe, is a, he's a good player. Oh, he's really he's on ascending second-gear guy, yeah. I, I don't remember him doing a thing. I mean, yeah. nothing in this game. Broderick Jones, I thought, dominated him. I, I thought so as well. I, I thought it was a very good O-line game. I thought Siamalu and especially Jones stood out in a positive way. And I was a little worried about Jones the last couple of weeks. I'm like, hey, maybe the rookie wall's starting to hit him, you know, he's slowing down a little. He came hard in this game and played really, really well. One thing you did throw out there, I just want to mention, and I'm sure Wolf can speak this better than I do, but as loud and as tough a place as at the play, you got to give Sierra Nation some credit for showing up. I mean, Ooh, I, I thought that would be like the, the lowest attended Matt, game. Exactly I mean, that was correct. insane. Yeah. I couldn't believe, first of all, I couldn't believe with the stadium maybe a fourth, a fifth filled, how loud it was, yeah. you know, because they got the, the two clamshell halves that, you know, keep the, the, the sound in. But Steelers Nation showed up and just did a terrific job of just, you know, it really showed the difference between the meat-eating Pittsburgh, right, versus the vegan Northwest. And they couldn't, they didn't have the stamina, right? But the Steelers, they did, baby, they did. All the Steelers fans. And so kudos to them. They stayed loud, proud, and strong during the entire game. And I got to tell you, Broderick Jones – had one of the hits of the year Ooh, when yeah, he, he pulled from right tackle. He showed Julian Love no love. He pounded him into the turf. And I got to tell you, it's the first – He not only did he slam him after the hit, he gored him. Well, I, I mean, it was like watching somebody with, running with the Bulls in Pamplona, Spain, you know, in the, in the Bull 1, you know. It was, it was that big of a hit. Yeah. Maybe they should have a little uh, – um, the graphic violence thing, you know, rate that thing. This, <laughs> rate this that replay is rated R. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, no, and and overall, your thoughts on the offensive line? You started to talk about it, Wolf, but um, just an impressive showing. I thought in the run game and in the pass game. And look, there there are certain factors when you're running the ball well, it makes it a little bit easier, I'm sure, to pass protect. Um, 
you know, you can start to dictate to them instead of getting into third and eight and third and nine where they can tee off and where we always see the Steelers defense um, be at its most dominant self. And Steelers, uh, you know, defenses that try to replicate what the Steelers do uh, with the good pass rush. Always better when it's third and long. Usually better when you're at home uh, with the crowd right. cheering and taking out that that snap count um, advantage that the offense has. But generally speaking, even with those other things, those other factors, it just seemed like the offensive line played a terrific game. They did. As a matter of fact, it reminded me of, uh, oh, about 40 years ago in the very same place with a different venue because I was playing in that 83 game with uh, Tunch Ilkin and Blake Wingle, Mike Webster, and Ted Peterson, you know, Cliff Stout, Franco Harris, when Franco went over 100 yards, right. I believe it was, yes. 40 years ago. But that was in the very place where the Kingdome was. They they knocked down the Kingdome, and then they recycled 70% of the concrete to build Lumen Field. Which oh, really? I didn't even know you could recycle concrete, yeah, you know. So there's hope for my head, anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, the fact is... I mean, it was unbelievable to watch this ground-and-pound assault that you just love when guys are coming off and moving bodies, and you just see these guys coming off the ball time and again and just really playing to the wall with great effort. It was it was wonderful to watch. Now, I will say this. Uh, not the, the one quibble I had with the offensive line, and it seemed to get better as the game progressed, Matt, was the snapping of Mason Cole. Yep. I mean, uh, Mason Rudolph had to do – a pretty good job of making sure none of those turned into turnovers. Yeah, and that's been a theme too much this year, to be honest with you. As much shotguns you see in the league now, snapping is utmost important, and it could throw off the whole timing of the play. And that's something Rudolph's playing really well. He's playing within timing and structure, and if your timing gets screwed up before you even get a chance to get the ball in your hands, that's a problem. Uh, I, he's, just, he's just keeping uh, Mason on his toes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you pointed it out last week, and I believe I heard you on the broadcast pointing it out again. Friar Moose blocking. We always think of him as a receiving first tight end, but I know you've been uh, – He's been blocking yeah. his butt off, you know, and the thing that I love about it is this, you know, simply put, if you don't get no targets, it's probably because you're getting double teamed. If you're getting double teamed, somebody else isn't getting double teamed. So what do you do? Well, you run your routes 100% full effort, and you make sure that you're blocking, and that's what he's doing. When he's not engaged in, you know, in otherwise means, he's doing what he needs to do to get the job done for that tight end position. And I got to tell you, him and Darnell together are doing a nice job, really good job. And some of the intricate nuances of that offensive line play, I saw Isaac Su- Isaac Sulmalo. First of all, I met his family or some of his family members out there. Very nice people, great people out in the hotel. But anyhow, um, when he pulled on a power around the center, okay, leading up into the B gap on the front side, and Darnell Washington was was picking up a, a crashing end man on the line from the tight end position. He came to the out. I mean, Isaac literally, as he pulled, was almost had a face full of this defensive guy. He had enough agility, this big old 300-pounder. He got around him and got up north-south and was able to block, and it was huge because if you knew how hard it is to, to go on a pull, all of a sudden have somebody in your face of an opposite jersey and have enough agility to get around him and then lead up, Man, that's a tough, tough deal, and I, I salute him. That was just one of his, you know, his uh, crash plus, uh, you know, plays that he had out there. It was really a nice job by this offensive line of picking up the run through guys and some of the extracurricular guys. So we wanted to talk about Mason Rudolph, but let's put him on hold for just one moment yeah. to talk about George Pickens. Let me get, throw one thing out there first, if you don't oh, mind. Yeah, just no, in I don't terms mind at all. Of big people and blocking. I mean. One of the, the changes, and it happened last year, after the Claypool trade, they went to a lot more 12 personnel, bigger people on the field. It was Gentry in this case. 
Well, after the coordinator change, they've been using a lot more 12 and 13. You know, you're seeing three tight ends on the field. You're seeing 12 uh, personnel with two tight ends on the field. And a subtle change, which is a, something that kind of has my radar, is the second week in a row, Allen Robinson's played more snaps than Deontay Johnson. You know, like, wow. Yeah. And so when they're in 12, Allen Robinson's out there more than Johnson as the second uh, receiver. But really, he's almost like a small tight end. I mean, he didn't touch the ball the entire game. But he can block, and I think that people haven't quite adapted to that yet. Yeah, and and he's a to have a guy like that, a veteran guy who's had some big seasons in the, in the NFL, mm-hmm. uh, to be a willing blocker um, has got to be good for just a general leadership by example uh, sort of thing. Wolf, there's no question about it. I mean, Allen Robinson's really putting his hand in the pile. He'll be one of those guys that go dig out one of those nickel corners. Yeah, yeah, you know, he'll go to that second level. Some guys find it uh, a little hard to navigate their way in there and get with the big bruisers there, you know, on the inside, uh, you know, inside the trenches. But he'll go after it and he'll he'll put his uh, hand in the pile and, and get those ham hocks churn along with other guys and get after it, you know. And I don't know why the the targets maybe for him drop, but maybe because they're using him so much as far as a blocker. He's really getting a nice. He's doing a good job in the role he's been ascribed to. But we do have to point out, Matt, that you cannot continue to have those type of tendencies. Eventually, teams are, teams yeah, are going to yeah. pick – like you can't bring in Calvin Austin every every time you want to run a jet sweep. Right? Course, you just can't. I mean, right. teams are going to pick up on that stuff, and teams will probably adapt to that. Um, and that's always one of the chess matches that goes on between coordinators around the NFL. Of course, of course. Uh, and you don't want to get too strong in your tendencies. And it's only a couple games. You know, I mean, it's two in a row where Robinson's outsnapped Johnson. I'm sure, now that you've outed the oh, no, whole thing. Right, that's right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I bet that doesn't happen this week. I mean, Deontay's the better receiver. It's not, I don't think it's a slight on him. It's just Robinson, uh, they're almost counting him like the third tight end at times. Right. And yeah. then when you're running the ball that well. Keep it up. Keep it up. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So uh, we will get to George Pickens. We will get to Mason Rudolph. We will get to one or two minor quibbles I had with the Steelers who win 30-23. to 23. That's when we continue. And the point after on Steelers Nation Radio and 102.5 DVE. <laughs> This is the point after presented by Parks Casino. Is today your lucky day? Bet Parks by Brian Patton and Associates. It's all about the benefits and by the Steelers Pro Shop. Get it direct from the team at shop.steelers.com. Okay, so we talked about uh, the offensive line. We've talked about the running backs. We haven't gotten to Mason Rudolph. I'm still going to hold off on him um, because I think maybe the happiest guy that Mason Rudolph has been uh, inserted in the lineup might be, and I'm again, I'm extrapolating here, but George Pickens. Uh, you know, he 195 yards receiving, then he goes o- well over 100 again um, in this game, and he has just looked fabulous, George Pickens. Oh, there's no question about it. And we saw him down down the field blocking when Jalen Warren scored. You know, I love it. that nice? <laughs> you know, it, yeah. Ironically, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> you know, I mean, whatever it was. But, you know, the fact is this young man is starting to unleash that, that potential, that talent on a more consistent basis. Happy to see it evolve and come about. How it all fleshes out, we're going to see. But uh, the extraordinary talent that he possesses is coming to uh, fruition uh, week after week now. And the thing that I love about it is, you know, they got the, whatever the conversations were, number one, they're making a difference behind closed doors. And number two, we're not hearing a single thing about it. 
Glad to see that. That's the way it should be done. Locker room elders, coaches, what have you. But George is getting the job done. That's what you need from him. It's all about winning. It's paid performance. That's what you do at this level. And to see this young man start to accelerate his his ability to bring the big catch like that one. You know, when Mason stood in there and took it in the grill oh. and unloaded the ball just mm-hmm. at the last second with enough arc to give it, you know, where Pickens cleared coverage. My goodness. I mean, you, that's that's awesome quarterbacking and, and wide receiving. Yeah. Trusting one another, too. Yeah, exactly. Slant Great late point. in the game, too. You oh, know, yes. Right? I mean, yes. Like yeah. well, we'll get to that because yeah, I, yeah. I love that. I love that part of the game. I, I will say – or that play in the game. I will say this, too, about about uh, Pickens, where he's putting up the number. So, uh, Steelers Depot had this statistic. I don't know whether they uh, got it from somewhere else or it was there, but I'm going to credit them because that's where I saw it. 55 straight games the Steelers had gone – without scoring 30-plus points and winning. So, you know, you sometimes see if you're a fantasy football guy, um, it's almost good if you have receivers that your team falls way behind because they're going to get cheap, easy receptions and pile up some yards because the team's playing prevent. Well, this is back-to-back weeks in which these numbers, Pickens' numbers and the offensive numbers, are being put up against teams fighting for their playoff lives and in moments that matter. And and that makes it even doubly important to me that Pickens got his fifth 100-yard receiving game of the season. Yeah, and what's interesting, too, Dale and I talk about this on the drive a lot. Like, everyone knows about that long streak where they didn't get 400 yards. Well, they had a winning record during that time. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, yardage and garbage time I mean, and stuff like that for fantasy doesn't always translate to wins. You know, I mean, a lot of that is empty calories at the end of games against prevents and things like this. But this is early. They're explosives. They're moving the chains you know, consistently turning first down, you know, third down for, you know, sets of downs into first downs quickly. And real quick, I mean, maybe you guys have heard, but uh, this coach Tomlin, he's never had a losing season. <laughs> I mean, not sure if you guys are aware of that. I mean, he never had a losing season. But right. two weeks ago, everybody was, oh, you got to bench Pickens. You got to send a message. Well, I think Coach Tomlin has a pretty good feel for his guys and how to handle those situations. And ever since then, this guy's lit it up and you've been throwing him the football a ton. Can we just defer to the coach and let them deal with the players? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think that when you talk about the greatest coaches in NFL history, um, certainly around here, the name of Chuck Knoll is going to come up. Mm-hmm. Vince Lombardi, I mean, he's got his name in the trophy. Of course, his name's going to come up. But during the telecast, and Wolf, I mentioned this to you uh, this morning when we were uh, doing the locker room with Max Starks, the, the uh, broadcast flashed up these numbers, most winning seasons in a row for a coach. Tom Landry, 21. Okay, well, Tom Landry belongs there with Vince Lombardi and Chuck Knoll. Um, Belichick. Was Bill Belichick, him, yeah. 19. Right. Well, look at his resume. That's pretty good, too. Now Mike Tomlin is at 17, breaking a tie he'd had with George Hallis <laughs> at 16. I mean, yeah. when you just think about those names, I mean, you know, it's – I'll repeat what I said to you. It's not nothing. Look, I understand people want you to win the Super Bowl every year. They want you to get into the playoffs and win games. We all want that. But it's not nothing to have this kind of stretch that Mike Tomlin has had. There's no question about it, and you're exactly correct. Look, the standard is the standard. You know, it's winning the Super Bowl. But that's what you want to adhere to. That's the goal. That's the whole thing. But it becomes in in sub-steps. It's all about the next win. That's what it's about. And, And that's why I think the Steelers are so successful. You know, you can't it's it's hard to turn things around and zoom to the Super Bowl in a couple in a year or two. It's easier today because of the salary cap stuff and all that other, you know, you the um free agency out there. 
Um, but on the other hand, you know, the, the fact is, to be able to get there, you first got to have a good culture. And the, the base for the Steelers has been terrific for so many years. And, and Mike has really done a great job of cultivating that. And you've got a lot of guys that, you know, it, it depends on, on the year, obviously, but any year could be a possible spring to that Super Bowl. And, you know, that's why I see it. And along those lines, you know, what, what Coach Tomlin's done is not a dynasty, but the league is set up not to have dynasties anymore. I mm-hmm. mean, you pick last and you don't have any cap room and you got to pay your quarterback. And kind of like what Wolf was saying, with all respect to Coach Landry and Coach Hallis, nobody was plucking Reggie White and Roger Staubach off their team. You right. know what I mean? Like, right. once you had your dudes, you were pretty set. Like, I always like to say, like, if you were – 1977, and you're the first-round pick of the Steelers, you may not even see the field. You know, like, now, every team's first-round pick plays a ton. Like, I just think it's harder to maintain it now than in before the 90s. Yes, I agree with that. And I think that in order to, you know, to really be on that list in the fashion he wants to be on it, Mike Tomlin, now, again, I'm speaking for him, um, but when you talk about Hallis and Belichick and Landry and we throw in Lombardi and Noel – He's going to want to win another Super Bowl or two, but, but still the, so, you know, there's a caveat and, and, you know, look, the Steelers stated goal is we want to win the Super Bowl every year. We want to compete for a Super Bowl. I get that. And it's been a while since they've even won a playoff game. So it's been a while since they've been a serious playoff contender. I'm just saying it, there's something there. That's not, that's not, you know, some people want to say maybe it's, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. Some people want to say it's empty. Um, I lean more towards the unbelievable side than the empty side. I mean, it's it's just an it's an amazing run of success for a team. Consistency and knowing your team and so many great coaches. You know, John Madden, even Vince Lombardi. I won't say it got stale, but they lasted about ten years. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And then it was ah, it's time to move on. Mutual parting of ways. We may even see that in New England this year. I mean, what I think is the greatest coach of all time. Well, his message has never gotten stale, and I think a lot of it comes down to communication and knowing his players. Okay, so uh, let's get back to the game. And the Jimmys and Joes you got. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, Pickens, uh, marvelous game again. And by the way, um, uh, and the matchup presented by Unibet, which we do across the Steelers mm-hmm. social media platforms, uh, the over-under was receiving yards for George Pickens coming off the 195 yards, which was about 75 and a Something high, yeah, and, yeah. You know, I, I I think I overthought it because I was like, well, his own defense, you know, <laughs> could be probably, probably going to be a yeah. Deontay kind of game. So uh, I went under. You went you went over, didn't you? You and Dale went under. I went over. Yeah, and okay. to be honest, I got to go third. I just wanted to be different. <laughs> I didn't know anything special. <laughs> oh, you're not even going to throw out some mathematical algorithm no, that no, you no. followed, right? He's, he's pretty good, and these two went under. I'm going to go over. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty good. And listen. Um, you know, the elephant in the room right now is Mason Rudolph. We can't not yeah. talk about him and what he's done. And frankly, it's been terrific. Uh, you know, again, just like the, you know, the narratives, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to throw any shade on this, but if he goes out and doesn't have a great game against Baltimore, people are going to say, oh, see, he was a third string quarterback. You know, this, this, this narrative yeah. shifts almost from pass to pass. I made this point with uh, Wolf and Max this morning that these games, you know, in addition to being important to the Steelers, these games are so important for Mason Rudolph. So oh, important. Yeah. When you think about a first-round quarterback, a guy who's taken in the first round, showing some flashes, there's always going to be fans, front office personnel, 
teammates who say that's why we took him number one. There oh, he is. Yeah. Oh, you have a bad game or two, but we've seen those flashes, and, and we're going to let him continue to grow. And then You're, the next team takes a chance on him where, you know, yeah, I mean, like they get right. a million chances in this league. Right. right. Or, you know, and so we just the guy, we talked about Geno Smith earlier, you know, he got buried on that depth chart. Uh, and, you know, he he had his opportunity with the Jets. He gets maybe another opportunity. Then he doesn't get a chance again for a while. Right. And, and I think that's where Mason Rudolph is. Right. He he's 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 had an early opportunity. Yeah. Then he has had no chance at all. So not only are these games important for the Steelers, and there's that pressure going on, these games are important for his career. I mean, there's a reason that he is uh, the number three backup. For the you know for the Steelers, a third string quarterback, mm-hmm. because of the perception around the league of what he's capable of doing. If there was a higher perception of him, some team would have swung a trade for him when their quarterback got injured. Mm-hmm. Some team would have gone out in free agency and signed him to be their starter, or their backup. So he's proving a lot of people wrong. But there's always going to be the narrative to me, Matt, that he's got to prove it every week. And I brought up again uh, with Wolf earlier today the example of Brock Purdy. Right? I mean, we just oh, yeah. heard from Purdy. Well, he's a game manager and blah, 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 and he's running that off. Then at some point you're like, well, wait a minute. You know, I don't care if he was the last guy taken in the draft. This guy's really, really good. Yeah. Mason Rudolph, he he hasn't had that stretch of time to say that. And any bad performance is going to bring out the critics. Ah, see, that's why he wasn't playing. The pressure on him to succeed, this is his career. This is his opportunity. I'm sure he was thinking a couple weeks ago, I may never get – another opportunity to show what I can do. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. And just to add some things to that, there was a long stretch where he was unemployed in free agency. I mean, right. And, you know, last year there were 69 starting quarterbacks in this league. This year we're getting in that neighborhood. You would think somebody that's qualified would have got scooped up earlier. And you, know, you can go back and listen to Dale and I in the drive. We often said, I'm like, I can't believe Rudolph hasn't been picked up. I mean, you're signing Nick Mullins and guys like, you know, all these different dudes. Why is he still out there? Well, the Steelers finally just said, hey, you want to come home and a good deal? And now his contract's going to be up after the mm-hmm. year here, too. So The good deal it, might be in his corner. Might be in his <laughs> yeah, corner. Right. You know, and you mentioned Purdy. Purdy has one get bad game against the, the Ravens. Ah, uh, see, I told you. Right. People have bad games. That's the <laughs> yes. way the world works. And kind of a funny example I've been using, too, is if there were social media – we all would have been all over Kurt Warner. You know, he got thrown in his first year with the Rams on the greatest show on turf. He's just a fluke. He was stocking shelves the week before that. He's throwing to Bruce and and uh, Holt and Falk and all those guys. And then eventually you just have to say, no, he's pretty good. People said that about Joe Montana. It's just, just Bill Walsh's system. Yeah, you know, like, third, third, another third-round pick, yeah, right? Those two Hall of Famers all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, and I'm not saying Rudolph's going to be Montana or Warner. Understood. Of course, but it's kind of like Geno. Give him a chance. Yeah, and and you know there's so much evaluation that goes on with players um, in every level in every sport. I mean, you can bring up examples of, you know, a Mike Piazza who was drafted. They they didn't even there aren't even enough rounds anymore. He was drafted in like the 63rd no, round or something. Minute. Is this <laughs> baseball? Are we talking baseball? I, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. In different, you can go around to any sport. Is all I'm saying. Right. And you're gonna find a guy who was drafted late um, in the NHL or baseball or whatever. And all these evaluators all over the place, um, they don't always get it right. And and they look, definitely have a much tougher path than Zach Wilson absolutely. with the second overall pick and or that's, whatever. I right. guess that's yeah. the point is the yeah. two of those things together that, you know, this is Mason Rudolph's opportunity to prove he is that, you know, long shot guy that just hasn't been given the opportunity that's ready to shine. And good for him if he can do it. I mean, he's done it through two games. 
he's also proven that he's a man of his word. I mean, this is a guy that says, yeah, I take, you know, reps, mental reps. I'm in there. I prepare like I'm starting each and every week. I've heard that an awful lot from a lot of guys over the years. <laughs> easier to say, right? yeah. Easier, yeah. easier yeah. to say that than to do it. You know, as the saying goes, you know, many, many have the will to win, but fewer still have the will to prepare to win. Well, when you watch Mason, all the nuances of professional quarterbacking are apparent when he, he goes out there. Everything from moving safeties with his eyes to shoulder fakes, things like that, to having the ability when he dumps a ball, uh, dirt in the ball, I think you called it, Matt, at the feet of, of Jalen Warren when Jaron Reed comes off on, on uh, blocked on a screen and having the wisdom to do that, you know, to then being able to hold on to the ball in the face of a rush where he's getting gr- taking one right in the grill and lofting it up just enough so Pickens can find his way past the coverage and be able to lay out and get that ball. I mean, that's an extraordinary range of, of quarterbacking nuances involved there. And that also includes being able to run the huddle, get in and out, and not, you know, suffer problems with a lot of motion penalties, too much time, you know, that sort of thing. Um, he's obviously been doing all that he said he's been doing. And it's apparent because he is really, in my mind, just doing a great job of being a professional quarterback. Matt, I think it was you and I talking um, uh, in the preseason. I believe that you were the one who told me that the quarterbacking has changed, that it's p- pretty much with all the mobile quarterbacks now, first read, second read, there Run. is no third read. Right, go. right, right. Well, Mason Rudolph is not a first read, second read. No. I'm going to I'm gonna run. And he's been able to go through his progressions very rapidly, which speaks to what Wolf is talking about. Um, look, uh, you know, you want to make a pre-snap read and you're hoping your pre-snap read is accurate, right? And you're going to go to this mm-hmm. target. But the other team's trying to fool you. you know? Yeah, defense so, were pretty smart too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the ability to try to come off that onto the next one, onto the third one, which we've seen him be able to do, is a testament not only to the offensive line, which we talked about, but to his preparation, mm-hmm. um, I think. Oh, I think 100%. I think he's very sharp, and his anticipation and timing, I would add to that, are clearly the best we've seen of the Steelers quarterbacks this year. I mean, in terms of, I'm going to throw this ball before he comes out of his break, or you know, I, I know that this safety's rolling here, so I'm going to go to the the void and things like that, like that. But the other thing I wanted to mention about him that I've noticed – ever since he came in the league, is when when he was at, at Oklahoma State and as a rookie, I thought he was a very robotic athlete. And you mentioned he's never going to be third-read Michael Vick taking run. I mean, that's not ever who he is. But some of the best pocket movers in history are like Brady, Manning, Marino. They don't win any races. But within the confines of that boxing ring, they have those subtle little movements while keeping their eyes downfield that just make them hard to sack and buy that extra half second that O-linemen sure appreciate. Yes. Love that. <laughs> Love that about the man. Little little half steps here or there. Yeah. Don't run into the rush. That's yeah, right. right. Yeah. Don't drift into the rush. Okay, we've got all positive. I still got a couple quibbles. We're going to get to that. We're going to look forward to the Ravens a little bit when we continue on The Point After on Sewers Nation Radio and 102.5 DVE. This is the point after presented by Parks Casino. Is today your lucky day? Bet Parks by Brian Patton and Associates. It's all about the benefits and by the Steelers Pro Shop. Get it direct from the team at shop.steelers.com. Alongside Craig Wolfley and Matt Williamson, I'm Rob King. Um, I had a quibble. Should we get to the quibble first? Sure. Let's get to the quibble. Again, then we'll get we'll You're a quibble back to later. Positive, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Happy New Year, by the way, guys. Oh, Happy yeah, New, New Year. Year. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, good, good deal. So I thought in this game that you know, you're out your top three safeties. You're out your top three 
inside linebackers. They don't have the greatest offensive line, Seattle. Um, they've got very gifted skill guys. Kenneth Walker, who uh, Matt and I were oh, talking right. for there, I, I don't know why he didn't have 25 carries. <laughs> um, maybe it was because uh, every time he Geno Smith went back, yeah. he had receivers <laughs> that were pretty open too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe that was part of it. But I really thought this was a game in which the front, let's call them five, right? Three down linemen and your two outside linebackers um, needed to and would dominate. And I, I didn't feel like that happened. My my quibble is that I wanted those guys to just make life miserable on Geno Smith. Now, credit Geno Smith. They made life tough on him at, at times. He threw a lot of good passes with guys in his face, but they didn't dominate this game in the run or pass game the way I thought that they would and that I thought the team needed um, in order to, to help out the guys in the back end. I can't tell you how many times I thought a sack was coming. I mean, you just watch both those twin masters of disasters. That'd be... TJ and Alex Highsmith, um, so close, so close, and yet Gina was able to just maneuver enough to stay out of harm's way and get the job done. But the nice thing, too, was we had some excellent reps by Marcus Golden and by Nick Herbig. Play the who game. Made, oh, play the game. Play the you game. know what I mean? And to watch Nick come off a double team, you can tell he's been uh, watch, studying at the foot of the master on the other side <laughs> because of the fact the way he handled not just – Cross the tackle, but came off the back too. Who jumped in there, and he was able to maneuver around on the double team virtually and get that sack and recover the ball. I mean, it was the trifecta. So, um, yeah, I would like to see a little bit more. I will tell you this: there was a couple instances where Keanu Benton lit up Evan Brown the center, and Montrevious Adams had a couple of great rushes to push uh, Geno Smith to one side of the pocket or the other. But again, it was like a flyby thing. Guys were going by and not able to bring him to the ground. I mean, T.J. Watt had a, a, a perfect shot at him on the one play and whiffed on him. And Gino just you know moved to the one side. So I think both of you are dead on, and you're both kind of coming from different angles. But like if you told me the final score of the game, and we talked about this preview in the game, like I, I thought the Steelers had a big advantage on the football, and they had a big advantage in the defensive trenches. You know, like – I would have thought, boy, they had five sacks. Watt had a strip sack. You know, stuff we've seen galore. But I do think Geno deserves. Sometimes you got to pat the other opponent on the back a little bit too. I thought his subtle pocket movement, like we we're talking about with Rudolph, was really good. He handled pressure really, really well. I think it is noteworthy. They only snapped the ball forty-seven times. True, yeah, <laughs> you know, it didn't so happen very much. It didn't happen. The time very of much. possession was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I think they ran like twenty-five more plays in yeah. Seattle, so they just weren't out there all that much. So you're not going to get ten sacks if they only snapped the ball forty-seven times. But I did expect more. Um, some of the advanced stats and all that, I I sometimes take with a grain of salt. But Adams, Benton, and um, Dogan Joby all had very high pressure rates. You know, they were beating the guys in front of them. Didn't turn into sacks, but they did hurry Gino. Yeah, they didn't stop the run too much, but they didn't run it no, that much. They didn't, I don't know why they didn't run it. So Walker was, looked tremendous. Oh, yeah. I, was glad, <laughs> yeah. I was glad they didn't use him. Yeah. Uh, there's something about that offense, and I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on the Seattle Seahawks, where it just seemed like the hole was less than the sum of its parts. Like they mm-hmm. should have – but again, when you only have 47 plays – and he scored 23 points. I guess that's a pretty good yeah, that's right, a pretty right, good right. ratio. Yeah, you're right. And Nick Herbig um is he a guy two snaps. Yeah, he, he played doesn't two even snaps. need those guys, right? Made he them has, count. He has like three somewhere between like three and four games worth of snaps. Like over the mm-hmm. over the 16 games. And he's got three sacks and a bunch of pressures and uh, you know, turnovers created. He has been in limited time, Wolf, 
He has been tremendous for the Steelers. He really has. And I, I look at it and I'm going, okay, the, where are we going to find room for this exactly. guy? Exactly. How do you get him out there more? Because um, you definitely want to. You want to see. He's kind of like the Connor Hayward of the defense, you know, where you think Connor, there's, Connor has a lot of ability, I think, that can be brought out a little bit more offensively. But uh, the fact is, like Nick, he's got that same sort of thing. And where do you fit him in amongst all the other monster players that are available on both sides of the ball? And right now, it's it's a good thing to, to figure out. I don't know if it's like I, I know my buddy Jim Wexel has talked about, can they look at him on the inside? I, I don't know. I mean, right, right now, right. this guy's got a great natural pass rush. I mean, he's just natural at it. He falls into positions that are – Really, really good, and almost naturally, without even working at it. When you trap a hand, then you drop your hips and you duck under and do some things. Like he, he just seems to do it naturally, and I would imagine that a lot of it has to do with you know you got a couple pretty good ma- uh, teachers in front of you, as well as another guy, Marcus Golden, who's a double-digit sack guy, capable. Are, are are there was there talk? I think there was some talk when he got drafted of maybe he's eventually going to move inside. Yeah, because of his size, he's you know in the scouting world, he's got short arms. He doesn't have the ideal bulk for the line of scrimmage, so he he's got the football intelligence to make the change. People thought maybe he was a Timmons, Chad Brown. You know, we've seen some of those guys have success here. I think that's long gone because he's really good at what he does, and rushing the passer is key. But a couple things, you know, like when they had Dupree, Watt, and signed Ingram, they flirted with three outside linebackers on the field here and there. You know, because they were all three high-quality dudes, and I do think you have to throw this in there with Herbig, too. Like, first of all, it's a good problem to have. We've seen this, like, right. James Harrison yeah. getting stuck behind guys and Gildon and Porter and years and years, but he also leads the team in special team snaps. So his jersey does get dirty every day. Right. That's a good point. Um, you know, we I, we talked about the pass to Pickens, and I kind of wanted to lump that in now to circle back, and we talked about Mike Tom a little bit, and I want to bring those two together. You know, people can be critical of – coaching it's easy to be critical right sure uh you should have done this you should have challenged that you should have gone for it on fourth down um if anything i thought mike tomlin might have gotten too aggressive going for it on that first the first fourth down i'm like oh, i don't I might punt this one <laughs> I, I thought he uh and and i'm not saying that because they didn't convert but i thought the coaching was aggressive and i thought it was really good and all the fourth downs, Mike Tomlin went for it on fourth down a couple of times. I think three. Three times. Yeah, and Got two of them. And the pass to Pickens coming out of the two-minute warning showed confidence in both Rudolph and Pickens and the offense to deliver. And uh, he had a great quote. Says, Scared money don't make money. That's right. <laughs> in this postgame, which yeah. is great. I've never heard that before, but it was pretty marvelous. Um, I, I thought that was uh, – I, I think – you, you have to – we saw two great coaches. Pete Carroll and Mike Tomlin have awesome resumes. And I just thought Mike Tomlin and his coaching staff, I, I, I think that they deserve it off of the cap. One other thing that, to do the coaching, a couple games ago, Mike Tomlin said, we're going to clean up these mistakes. Uh, last week, I think they had two penalties for 15 yards. This week, two te- penalties for 10 yards. That you know goes into a coaching and attention to detail. So I just wanted to doff the cap to Mike Tomlin who extended that streak in this one. And I love the quote by Mason Rudolph. Yeah, I was got a little nervous when I heard the call. <laughs> the whole game's on the line, right? right. And you got to. I, I was sitting on the booth going, "Okay, now we're gonna we're gonna run and kneel, run, 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 run. and kneel. Anyway, yeah. Here we yeah. go. Yeah. Whatever we got to do, you know." And then boom, that throw to George Pickens. I was just like going, "Great googly moogly." That I mean, that was that was unbelievable, and they pulled it off beautifully, and that shows you what. 
coaching is all about, you know, and having the confidence in your people to get the job done. And you look at it. You got a backup quarterback making the throw, the, the critical throw of the game, to a young man who's just learning what he's capable of doing, George Pickens. And I'll tell you, it's a beautiful thing to watch. And they're treating this backup quarterback like he's a starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to me, like right. he's a veteran established, exactly. you know, like he's a veteran That's quarterback. That's very true. You know, we've always said the word trust, confidence. You know, I mean, I, I think more so than at any point in the what fourteen games before this. And I'm not cutting on the other guys, but I don't know if they they throw that ball under two minutes or whatever with the other quarterbacks. I mean, that's a lot of trust in a veteran quarterback to not screw it up, and he didn't. Yep, and you know, this time of year, and Wolf, I want to harken back to what you talked about with your '89 Steelers. Um, look, they have not beaten the '86 Bears here. You know, right? '85 Bears. '85 was '85. '86 yeah, wasn't shabby either. Bears, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they haven't beaten either of those teams. <laughs> But they have. We didn't beat them in '86. (laughs) Still had Richard Dent, and they were all right. Yeah, I meant the '85 Bears. Thank you. Um, Happy New Year. Did I say that? Happy New Year. (laughs) So, uh, I guess my point um, uh, that I was going to talk about was that these were these two wins came against teams that were very similar in a very similar position to you. In that, you know, they're they're not the 49ers, they're not the Baltimore Ravens, but they're contenders. They're contenders who needed to win those games. The Bengals were in the playoff picture. Seattle in the playoff picture. They both have winning streaks. But you both right. Yeah, yeah. And you beat one at home, one on the road in a very difficult place to play. You scored 30 points in both games. You began the last couple of weeks. You looked like a team that could get that that's playoff caliber and can maybe do something when you get to the playoffs. We don't know whether they're going to get to the playoffs. They still have to win and they still need help. But I think that's very encouraging, the way they've looked against two pretty good football teams. There's no question. In 89, we needed six or seven things to happen as we played on Christmas Eve down in Tampa, Florida, which, again, as I've, I've stated many times before, you know, set a record. It was the first time it snowed in Tampa in 25 years, and we were all going, we're meant to be in the playoffs, baby. <laughs> this is going to happen now when it snows in Tampa. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, you know, you go in and we beat a team – the Oilers that that had dusted us in Pittsburgh, twenty-seven nothing, and the second time around we at least put some points on the board, you know. But the fact is, we we were not a very good team early on, but that team gelled and became something special towards the last part of the season. And you never know until you go, you know, things things. Every time you light that switch, you're not sure of the exact outcome. But as you can see, with each week building now, the possibilities are there to what this team can absolutely be able to do. And again, not to mistake these teams with the 1933 Bears, losers <laughs> of the sneaker bowl to the Giants. Uh, but but this was... Um, it was Converse back then. I don't know. They, 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 so the big it was uh, snowy, icy conditions. Oh, and I at remember. halftime, the Giants... No, I wasn't playing. 1933, the Giants switched to sneakers at halftime. Yes. That, that made a big difference on the, on the footing on the field for those... Younger fans that aren't as old as the three of us. Although Matt pointed out he's a little different generation than you and me, Wolf. Yeah, I know. Before, yeah. And he well, likes not to much. Point that yeah, out too. How about that? <laughs> um, anyway, uh, you know, again, beating, we're, we're not, I'm not saying they just went out and beat the Ravens right. or, uh, or they went out and beat the 49ers, but they beat teams that are in similar situations as they are and they beat the Bengals handily. And people could say, well, you're second, three quarter. Uh, Steelers have their third string quarterback. Yeah, they're down three safeties. They're sure. down three inside linebackers, and then they go on the road and beat a, a Seattle team desperate for a win. Yeah, and really, that's the league right now. I mean, there's 
six or seven pretty bad teams. I think there's two great teams in the Niners and the Ravens, of course. Then I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of teams hovering around 500, fighting for playoff spots these last couple weeks, and they just knocked off two of them. I don't think the defenses they faced are all that great. And frankly, I we have, didn't discuss the Steelers' back seven on defense. I'm still quite nervous about mm-hmm. that group, Understood. to say the least, no matter what. But I thought that was a playoff caliber performance in Seattle. Well, no question. And now no. they move down to Baltimore. Hopefully they're going to get, listen, we'll take what we can get. I'll take a bunch of reserves out there, a chance to win on Saturday night and put the pressure on yeah. the Jaguars and uh, the Bills to have to win on Sunday, Wolf. There's no question. Look, the the beauty in building 17 seasons without a uh, losing season is the culture that pervades throughout the locker room. And those guys in that locker room believe on any given Sunday, you got a puncher's chance. And that's all you ask for. Mm-hmm. You know, just give me a chance to go out and prove that I belong. And that's the mi- mentality and the mindset. And I love that. And, you know, I don't think there's a person in Pittsburgh that disagree with that. Well, I think it was several years ago, right, when the uh, – Bill, I think Bill Cowher was still coaching. They went up to Buffalo. Buffalo needed to win to get into the playoffs, and the Steelers went up there with their backups, and the and everyone howled, and the Steelers beat them. That was a Willie Parker emergency. Willie game. Parker, yeah. that's exactly that right. That was Debo's so, first start too. So we're not going to chalk this one up as a victory just yet. But the Steelers, at least going into this, have put themselves in position to to win a game and uh, and hopefully get into the postseason. Yeah, the rest of the AFC could have done them some more favors over the weekend, but so be it. You have no control a over favor that. A favor would have been nice. Would have been nice. They got no favors. The as fact far that as the I Ravens know. won was the only favor I saw. Yeah, that's know? right. Yeah, maybe. Right? Real quick, though, people, I mean, it, this is not going to look like a preseason game. I mean, Baltimore can't sit everybody. They don't have right. 90-man rosters. Exactly. You still have to put five offensive linemen out there. Like, Lamar, I'm sure, won't play, but they're going to still field a pretty good team. Right. You know. It might be Gus Edwards at running back. I mean, you know, they're they're going to yeah, have to, or they pull him in the fourth quarter. Or, yeah, you somebody. Know. I mean, they have like they have three solid looking running backs. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, one of them is going to be out there but getting is a full Odell load. Going to play? Is Stanley going to play? I mean, yeah. or they play limited Roquan? But you still got to field a team. I mean, they got so many guys on your roster. Well, here we are talking about the Steelers and the playoff possibilities. That's a fun place to be talking about heading into the final week of the season. For the most complete selection of Steelers merchandise, from official sideline gear and authentic memorabilia to our extensive selection of jerseys and terrible towels, visit one of the official Steelers Pro Shop stores located at Ackershire Stadium, Grove City Premium Outlets, or Tanger Outlets, or visit us online at shop.steelers.com for all of your Steelers merchandise needs directly from the team. For Craig Wolfley, Matt Williamson, I'm Rob King. Thanks for listening to The Point After on Steelers Nation Radio and 102.5 DVE.